I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Austin Letcher. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me for part two of episode 14 of Chordscast. Uh, If you have not listened to the first part of this episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and do that first. Uh, My name, as always, is Ben Forrid, and it's a pleasure to have you here with me. Um, Part one of this episode was an interview with Dr. Soterios Kiros, a pediatric neurologist that introduced us to a disorder that comes with mutations in a gene called KCNMA1. And um, he's a, a passionate and, uh, and highly, highly uh, devoted uh, physician and scientist in this field. In the second part of this episode, you're going to hear again from Dr. Kiros, but uh, he and I actually sat down with the mother of one of his patients and, um, and heard the story uh, of of her diagnosis and um, and what it's like to live with uh, with this. It, it's an excellent discussion um, that it covers everything from research uh, into advocacy into uh, what it's like to be a doctor uh, uh, treating patients with rare neurological disorders. Uh, there's a lot of different subjects discussed and um, and uh, Brittany, uh, as you'll meet in a few minutes. Um, tells her daughter's story in a very powerful way. And, uh, and, and I, I hope that you get a lot out of this. So uh, thanks for coming back for part two of this episode. And I, I hope you enjoy. Back to Chordscast. Uh, I'm Ben Ford again, and I'm here here again with uh, Dr. Soterios Kiros and uh, with Brettany Morgenberg, uh, a parent of a child affected by this KCN um, mutation and, and uh, with the uh, with the condition. Uh, a lovely daughter. Why don't you um, tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, tell me about your family and uh, and your your course with the disease. Um, my daughter's name is Kamaya. She's going to be seven here on Thursday, so she's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, um, it, it all kind of started when she was mm, about eight months. Okay. About eight months old, and she was, well, she wasn't quite developing at the same rate as other babies her age, and um, we couldn't really quite figure out why, but they just said that some babies develop at a different rate, and we're like, okay, well, mm. I guess that's how it is. And then um, when she's about eight or nine months and she started to crawl, 
She would crawl really fast, and then she would just tip forward into the ground. We had wondered if she was dizzy, and and so I called um, the ENT that had um, helped with her throat when she was born. She had laryngeal hemorrhagia, which is also common. And um, he said that that they could put tubes in, and then we could see if it made a difference in her being dizzy. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, we went and had PE tubes put in, which also not a big deal. Um, and it didn't help. Um, and then one of my girlfriends had said, um, do you notice she had her daughter's eight days difference than Kamaya? And she's like, do you notice how, um, that her daughter had, when she got tired, would go cross-eyed? And I said, no, I didn't notice that your daughter did that. And she's like, I was like, but Kamaya does. And she's like, well, you should have her checked out for some random common baby eye thing. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like myopia or something like that. (laughs) Sure. Anyway, um, I was like, okay. So I called an eye doctor, and I thought maybe that's why Kamaya was falling forward. I called her an eye doctor, and of course, you know, Kamaya can't see very good. So we get a pair of really cute baby glasses, Mm -hmm. and we think that's going to solve the problem. And it didn't, and it just kept continuing, and it kept progressively getting worse, and it was getting to the point to where it was happening all the time. And, um, so I took her into our family doctor and he said that we should go to a neurologist. It looks like absence seizures. Okay. Well, why would she have absence seizures? That's kind of odd. Well, we went to a neurologist and they're like, yeah, it kind of looks like absence seizures. We're going to have an EEG done. So, okay. So we geared up for that, had an EEG done and there were no seizures. And, um, it was at that point that it became apparent that this is kind of very odd. So we ended up getting a second opinion and we went to Omaha and he's like, well, I only deal with people that have like uncontrollable seizures and we put these VNS or some these brainstem lack of terms, sure. <laughs> brainstem shooty thing that magnet, who knows, whatever it is. Anyway, and he said that she that he would rather find out why she was having these seizures. Well, then he looked at her EEG and realized that it wasn't, in fact, seizures. And he ordered an MRI, and the MRI came back as normal. And he sent us back home, and when we got back home, they decided that we should then go to Mayo. Mm. Um, We went to Mayo, and um, Mayo thought that it could be um, Neiman Pixie. Okay. Um, don't Google that. It's terrible. Yeah. It's horrible, horrible degenerative disease that you just you don't. It's sad. Mm. it's super sad. Mm. Anyway, um, then they thought it could be a dystonia, and then they also thought it could be narcolepsy with cataplexy. Narcolepsy with cataplexy made the most sense if you read cataplexy. It almost is like explains Kamaya to a really scary T. Mm. But then they did all the tests for all of those things, and all of them came back negative. Mayo Clinic sent us back to Sanford with no answers and saying that there wasn't really anything else that Mayo Clinic could do. And they sent us back to a doctor named Michael Kruer. And he's like, well, what do you think about sending Kamaya to the um, NIH? And I'm like, I don't really know what that is. Mm-hmm. He goes, it's a National Institute of Health of Undiagnosed Diseases outside of Bethesda. He said, it's really hard to get into. They only take a certain amount of kids. And it was really an odd place to be because 
To apply for Bethesda, you have to be sick enough to need them, but not sick enough to be dying. Like, they mm. don't want you to die before you get there, but you have right. to be sick enough to go there. And you have to convince them of both of those things at the same time. Sure. Well, that's... The difficult and confusing time. <laughs> that's a really, really weird dress to put on. Yeah. yeah like, that was really <laughs> odd. So, um, we applied, and it took two, or two years, and we ended up going, and it was um, ten days of... A battery of tests like every single day this is what all this is what the entire team did this is it it was Kamaya and that was there was no other wow. focus um, it was medical care that we had never seen or experienced before it yeah. was incredible and but at the end of the 10 days of course they had warned us that there was a chance that we were donating to research and that there in fact would never be an answer for Kamaya and that chance was at 78%. 78% of the people that go there don't get an answer. Wow. Okay, that's really high. Um but I we decided that whatever happens is that I was going to do absolutely everything that I possibly could and that if this ended really bad that you know, I would say, I've done everything humanly mm-hmm. possible for Kamaya. Like, yeah. I've gone to the end of the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, there was no answer. And there was no hearing from the team. Um, we didn't hear anything. They kind of said, well, maybe we could call it drop attacks. <laughs> okay, well, so can the neighbor. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> um, and we kind of just let it go. Well, um somebody from the UDN peer group, this Undiagnosed Disease Network peer group, had mentioned something about there was casting for um, rare diseases through Netflix, and they were looking for essentially people that were undiagnosed, that were in small places with a weird syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that <laughs> kind of fits yeah, us. That does like fit. South Dakota, yeah. Like, we're in a small place with a weird syndrome. I'm going to shoot an email to them and see what they say they're probably going to laugh at me and then I'm going to put it in my bucket of I've done everything yeah and um I got an email back in like 12 hours and they're like we really want to hear your story our production team is meeting tomorrow could you tell us more about Kamaya and so I did I you know typed everything up and I said this is this is what it is and I spoke in front of their production team and their production team like quickly snatched our story and we ended up becoming one of the 12 that were going to be on this diagnosis show well in order to be on the show (laughs) you have to release everything you have to get all of your medical records from every single place that you've ever been and have it redacted oh wow okay so especially with all of the all of the specialists and the people that you'd seen, you know, the medical record is like it's, the New York City phone you know, book. <laughs> it's, it's thick. Thousands of pages. I've, yeah. gone, I've gone through it. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, also, Google what redacted means. Let me figure out what that means and then I'll get that for you. Like, it was very, very, very weird. But, okay, I'm going to do that. Like, this is, this is a chance. And so, as I'm approaching the NIH and the Mayo and all those places to get my medical, Kamaya's medical records redacted. The, um, the, the NIH realizes that, whoops, we've had her answer all along. We forgot to call her. Oh. 
So they had had the answer for a little over a year and a half, almost two years. And they somehow, it fell through the cracks and they never told us. And so the Netflix team flies out. They've got camera people. My house is no longer a house. It is a studio. Mm. It's a Netflix documentary shooting studio. And 16 hours after Netflix leaves, the NIH calls and we're like, we really want to have a meeting. We know what's wrong with Maya. I'm like, oh, here goes our doc. Here goes Netflix. They've just wasted their time. Yeah. And Netflix calls us back and they're like, we don't want to lose you. We still want to shoot it. We want to find other people like you. We don't want you to be the only one. And so then at that point, the show, our particular episode turned into um, them trying to help me help or trying to help me find other people that were like us. And for that, I am very grateful because if it wouldn't have been for that, we would have never found him. He came out of this. Yeah. Um, And we would have never found the the two researchers involved and, and one researcher, well, they're both involved heavily, but they're different. They're completely different types of people. And as we all know, it doesn't just take one person to make this world spin and Mm -hmm. to have, you know, all these people on our side and not just like on our side, like, because they're going to have some sort of like financial gain, but to actually care. Oh, yeah about Kamaya was um, huge and not just about Kamaya because now I have a group of 17 people that their families and their kids I mean mean everything I'm, I'm flying across the world yeah I mean I don't I, I, I don't I don't travel well <laughs> by <laughs> yeah. any stretch of the imagination. And, and it's hard we were we were talking it's... earlier about I was describing how some of the some of the families some of the patients will have 200 episodes a day where they'll fall or stiffen, whether it's seizures or these movement disorders. I mean, I was describing how difficult it's going to be at home and at school. Imagine being at the airport on a plane or in a foreign country where you're trying to navigate with a completely unfamiliar environment and you're just also worried about the safety of yourself (laughs) or your child. So I can't have the basic language that they speak. Yeah. Um, Kamaya grounds planes. We do. They see what's going on and then they will not fly they'll not take mm. off that's really embarrassing i'm like just get the plane off the ground just like let's move on with it there's you're, nothing you are going to do is going to fix this right now <laughs> yeah um yeah. and so that's it's it's quite a uh it's quite an undertaking so all these researchers come forward and now we have him and um we go to denmark and we shoot the end of the show we shoot the end of the Netflix documentary because now we have found a family that is essentially just like us and Netflix says you want to go to Denmark and I said sure (laughs) and we go and we shoot the rest of the show and as we come back from Denmark Kamaya is not well um we had jet lag which is typical Mm -hmm. makes anybody tired but for some reason two Two to three weeks after we get off the plane, we can't get Kamaya back to her normal baseline of, um, you know, just falling enough for us to still be able to function. She was falling to the point to where her teachers were calling me every single day. Um, 
she wasn't able to finish work in class. They were needing to have people with her constantly. There was no, mm-hmm. like, her teacher's like, she's exhausted all the time. And I'm like, oh, I don't understand why she would be tired all the time. So, of course, I call him on his phone. Mm-hmm. Poor him. I feel no, so it's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm like, I, I think there's something really wrong with Kamaya because we're not just falling like we normally fall. There's something else. And I had gone to the school and watched because I want to see what the teacher's talking about. Mm-hmm. And instead of her completely like falling over and tipping over in her chair, she's kind of doing these little blips where she just kind of stares and then she comes back. And then she stares and then she comes back. And mm. she wasn't responding to anything that we were saying to her in these weird blips that, of course, you know, we've had multiple EEGs in the past and there was never any seizures. No seizures. And he says, um, we should get a baseline EEG for the researchers anyway. Yeah. Let's do an EEG. And let me, let me, let me, let me jump in here because we were talking earlier about how some of the patients with KCN MA1 or KCN as we're going to call it for yeah. now, like I mentioned, um, either have just seizures and epilepsy, just the movement disorder, the stiffening part or both. Um, and what had happened with Kamaya, she'd only apparently had the movement disorder as far as we know, but now she developed later these seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been talking about, well, it's been a long time that she's had an EG. There's, there's going to be, uh, let's see if anything has changed and, and see if, if it's changed in any way that might help us figure out what's going on. And it was coincident with, she also was worsening and by golly, if we didn't discover that she was maybe having well, probably a hundred or 200 seizures, a day that she hadn't had before. Oh. Um, so she was becoming like some of the other patients that we know that had both the movement disorders and seizures. Um, so that was a, a new thing for her, which I'm sure it wasn't fun for her or you, Brittany. It was a, it was definitely, um, I felt like I had been hit by a truck Yeah. because it's just like finding out that your kid is sick all over again a second time um, right. with something else that now he didn't even, you know, we had, we had already, we had gotten Make-A-Wish, and we had gone on a Make-A-Wish trip, which was incredible, um, but now we have this new problem, right. and what, what are we going to do now, when, so now I've got this group of people in this Facebook group, and uh, this new group of friends, and the ones that have seizures and this movement disorder at the same time, their seizures are wicked difficult to control yeah like, there's there's not really any we don't know of any good medicines that that treat these seizures so i'll interject that if you're if you're looking on the eg the type of seizures that kamaya was having for the most part look like a very common epilepsy that starts at this age about six years old called absence epilepsy and so part of it is well hey we have a good treatment for childhood absence epilepsy let's try it but no it actually makes people much worse and Kamaya was a second person to have that experience where we tried a drug ethosuximide for absence epilepsy as well we got to do something and at very small doses it made her worse and so that's uh, whereas it wasn't fun I'm sure for Kamaya um, it's actually interesting is that now that's another piece of information that we can use for other families and say yep yep it's we've been there done that be careful this this may not be something you want to you want to try and going back to um you know our earlier conversation 
there are now increasingly, as Brittany was saying, more families involved and the, the families are sharing their experiences, but we need to get those experiences out to the, to the physicians. And mm-hmm. so we're hoping that we can get, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, the, the natural history. If we could get 10, 20, 30, 50 families to share, well, this is how they were uh, at age one, at age two, at age five, at age 10, we could say, okay, about a third look like this, and a third look like this, and a yeah. third look like this. So when that new diagnosis comes, we can say, well, we don't know what the future is going to be for you because your kid's not like the other kids. Everyone's different. But at the same time, within the patients that have your related condition, this is how they tend to be. So these are the things we can look out for. You know, mm-hmm. the, the phrase we use in medicine as anticipatory guidance. What can we anticipate might happen, and how can we guide you to be prepared? One is, you know, just one is simply being, this could happen, so if it comes, be on the lookout. So that's one way that's helpful, whether there's something to be able to do about it or treat it. Um, the other thing is just so that, uh, whereas it's always disappointing if someone has something new come up, uh, you know, in Kamaya's case, adding the seizures and the epilepsy on top of the movement disorder would, would never be, um, uh, would never, would never not be devastating in some way or disappointment. But if you knew for years and years and years that it was likely to happen, at least you'd be a little prepared mentally. And so yeah. even for conditions that don't have a treatment, aggregating and, and collecting family experiences and sharing that and making it easy for a new diagnosis or someone who's newly diagnosed to read up on it and kind of get a feel for what might um, what might happen in the future, I think is just really important. And that doesn't really exist um, in a centralized space right now. It's just hard to get good, easy, let's say well-written, you know, yeah. um, summaries of what the disease is, how it looks, what, 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 what people have tried, um, that might have worked, have not have worked. And so um, it's just basically brand new um, for the most part, even though we've known about this particular gene and this channel for, you know, decades and decades. But in terms of this particular condition, um, there's really nothing available right now that's easy for um, for people to go learn about sure. on their own. Yeah. And that was your experience, right? You got the diagnosis and where, what what could you do? Yeah, there was nowhere to turn. And to be quite frank, a lot of the kids that were on that Facebook group did not look like Kamaya. Right. It mm-hmm. wasn't. It wasn't. It, the one that we've seen that looks the most like Kamaya is Atla. And and that's I'm sure both. Um, it's frustrating, but it's also how a lot of these genetic conditions work. Two people it, with the same mutation. Now, you know, Kamaya is one of at least five people you know of, right, with their same mutation. Yeah. Um, Kamaya and. Um, I was actually almost in denial about that this was the right answer. I'm like, oh, yeah. you say it's that, but it doesn't look like that. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, that's not our thing. And then all of a sudden, oh. boom, there's Atla. And then, the, like like he was saying, if you could just know that there was something that was that you could anticipate was going to change. Like, Atla, when he was about six or seven, his... Atla's the child in Denmark that right. Kamai met. Yep. Yeah. He's the one in Denmark. And he... He, around six or seven ish, he started to his episodes started getting longer. Instead of being thirty to forty seconds, they ended up being a minute and a half, and oh, then they were wow. two minutes. And then as he got older and older, it's three and four and five, and they go up to five to seven now. I believe as long as how long mm-hmm. his can go, and come you know the last few months or so, we've noticed that Kamaya's we've we've hit a minute and a half. Whereas if we would have hit a minute and a half a year ago, on knowing what we were going on, we would have hit nine and one. Yeah. Because we can't. Right. <laughs> we didn't know. You're, you're talking about her stiffening spells, right? Not the seizures where yeah. she's. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about this, but what is she doing during that minute and a half? What, what does she look like? 
just frozen. Like frozen, like kind of like a board in a way. She kind of falls over, not super, super stiff and rigid, but she's not limp. Yeah. She's, she just, yeah, kind of falls over like a board, I guess is the best way to say it on. Like whatever uh, she was doing in that moment is what she stays doing. Like mm -hmm. it just doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And what does she think about this? About 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 what what does she think about her stiffening spells? Can you give us any insight about what Kamaya how this affects her? Does it bother her? Is she sad? Is she indifferent? Um, what does she think about the stiffening spells? Do they bother her? Does she cry about it? Does she just go on? Not unless she gets hurt. Okay. Like if she gets hurt, then she gets upset about it. The other day she fell backwards, and ugh, of course you know I don't I I can't be perfect. But she fell backwards and hit the TV stand, and our TV almost... If it wouldn't have been for the fact that we were both there at the same time, the TV would have come mm -hmm. come down. And of mm -hmm. course, I'm like, throw the TV out! Yeah. We're done! <laughs> like, yeah. And, and uh, you know, she if she gets hurt in an episode, then she struggles. Yeah. And she has started recently, which I don't know if it's just her being a turkey, because seven is such a beautiful age. <laughs> Um, you think it's going to be better than 13? Oh, I think it's, I think it's getting real close. Um, I, you know, she's been going, I was gone, mom. Like, I don't think you were like, I don't feel like that was the thing, sure. but I can't really, it's really hard to know. And there are times where she'll get very upset because she was gone and she couldn't hear what was being said at that point. And she doesn't understand why everybody's mad at her when she was trying and she couldn't she couldn't. Yeah. yeah, and and that's what's frustrating with these absent seizures in general. So again, there's she's got you know Kamaya and a lot of a lot of people with the KCNMA MA1 mutations have are they have the the muscle episodes where they can't move but they're there. They know what's going on. They can participate in the world around them and and know what people are doing. But then the seizure episodes, which can be anywhere from a few seconds to tens of seconds, you're unconscious. So you'll lose a conversation. You'll mm -hmm. lose. Some of, and and where the stiffening spells are maybe a little bit more obvious, at least the videos I've seen, you can say, okay, something's going on right now. With the absent seizures, you're just it's just a pause. You can you can even keep walking. You you might keep you might keep chewing if you're eating, but you're unconscious, and so the people talking to you and communicating with you don't have any idea that you can't hear, and so it becomes mm -hmm. frustrating for the people who don't realize it's going on because it looks like for all the world you're just not paying attention. Right. But then for Kids with these seizures, it's uh, frustrating because they realize that that they miss something but can't necessarily explain. Oh wait, I just had a seizure. I, it's not mm -hmm. my fault that I didn't mm -hmm. hear you or something. And so, and that's yeah. not unique to that. All all the epilepsies yeah. are can be like that. But yeah, um, so yeah. she's not paying attention real well because her teacher will be over here. She'll have an episode, and then all of a sudden her teacher will be over here, and she's not quite sure how her teacher got from here to here. Sure. Yeah. And so she'll get frustrated or or bored and sick of trying to figure out why right. she's missing yeah. these chunks and just but on, on the flip side though when when tired. i see kamai have these spells in the clinic she'll have a spell and it'll it'll we'll wait it out whatever whether it's five seconds or or 20 seconds and then she just picks up and you know she'll be in the middle of talking and then she'll stop and then she'll keep going and in some of the videos that that Brittany has showed me um she she has her thing Everyone waits it out, and then she picks up like like nothing happened. So yeah. she also just seems to do her thing, right? She runs, she jumps, she plays. Yes, she she gets she has these yeah. pause spells. She is the but she seems very happy. I've always seen her. I've always known her to be so. I, I love meeting her. I love talking to her. 
best example of get back up and keep going. Like, right. you know, people always tell you, you get back up and just keep going. Yeah. She is just, that's yeah, exactly, that's what she does all day, every single day. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's an important lesson for uh, for families when they have a child that's diagnosed with any medical condition, right? You're devastated. This child's not going to be like I expected them to be. And then, you know, I deal with kids with all sorts of uh, neurologic and other diseases from the, the really, really mild to the, the really, really, you know, super, super severe. But what I'm really impressed with is how much, in general, the kids find a way to do what they need and be, be happy and content for the most part in ways that their parents may not have predicted. And mm-hmm. I've seen some families that say, you know what, I don't know that I would necessarily change, right? Of course, if you could snap your fingers and make everything better. So I don't mean to imply they wouldn't change things, but that it is so rewarding to see all these children with their conditions and, and Kamaya who have their problems and yet do what they need to do and are perfectly yes. happy. And I think that's the other big thing about families when they get this diagnosis is to be able to see and meet Kamaya and Atla or other people and be like, oh, they're still kids or they're still young adults. Mm-hmm. They're still doing their thing. So maybe they can still have a happy life with their issues. Absolutely. And it's something that we hear a lot when we talk to folks that are leading advocacy organizations for um, pediatric illnesses is that the kids are kids and kids yeah. are resilient, if nothing else. And they find a way to be kids. And so um, they have these family meetups and gatherings and, and there's always these game components and then where you just, you just let the kids go do what they do. And I think in a lot of ways, those family meetups are for the parents more than for the patients. Um, right. They give yeah. the parents the opportunity to talk shop and, and get to know each other and, and tell stories and share what they've got, what they've gone through. Um, and, you know, you let the kids just go be kids. Um, I read a blog once that, um, it's the, it's the blog called the mighty and -hmm. they'll have just random rare things. And one of the most like important things to me, like, I'm, how am I going to parent a child that is not well? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you parent that? Like, it's very, it's very easy to just almost cater Mm -hmm. to them and to almost, um, do everything for them. And, give them what they want because we're not really sure how long that they're going to be alive and you really want them to have the things you know that you're trying to you get this mentality that you're going to try to compact an entire life into this small mm-hmm. amount of time like how yeah. do you compact a life right. and um they had talked about how the goal should be how to raise your child as if they're going to live forever yet knowing that they could die today and I've really 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 tried to balance because I don't want to raise her as if she's not going to outlive me and then she can't function mm-hmm. right. you still have to teach the same skills to the kids that would you teach any other kid independence playing well with others, there's, I'm sure everyone's spoiled a little bit more sharing, right? Share your toys. (laughs) Right? I can only imagine spoiling seems to be such a natural thing to do, and yet, you know, there's a limit because you still have to be a parent. Yeah. Um, You, you know, you were mentioning about parents communicating and families communicating and how great it was for you to meet uh, Atla and basically be with a family that was going through exactly what you were going through. And one of the things I want to try to do is help encourage more of that to 
um, create some easier process where families could meet in a central location. So rather than one on one, you know, you were talking mm-hmm. about um, uh, about families getting together yeah. and watching the, the kids yeah. play. I would love to see that. I would love to actually. So two things: as a person, I would like to make it easy for families to get together in person, share their experiences with each other. Um, but as a clinician, I would like to get families together and patients and have them share their experiences with scientists and physicians. So I want to help people be happy just because, but also I want to use that experience to be in a room or be somewhere and see one, two, 10, 30, 40, whoever, however many we can identify <laughs> and put together and watch them all at once and learn from how everyone is different yeah. and how they're the same um, because it's going to take a lot of doctors working together to, um, with families, of course, to share what are the family's experiences, what are the physician's experiences, combine those things, and then use that to help the laboratory researchers do their thing. And then that back and forth we were talking about right. uh, earlier, um, where it's where it's something bigger and um, uh, a little more centralized and formalized to just help families Hey, there's an annual meeting, for example, right? How many conditions mm-hmm. or disorders have annual meetings and scientific conferences where people get together? And so I'm hoping yeah. that maybe we can work with some of the families. And so um, I'm hoping to get Brittany's help and I'm talking to some of the other families now just getting started. Um, that's very cool. Yeah. I want to get some of this energy that's out there. Parents trying to do something and hopefully people can volunteer their, their time and efforts with me and we'll make something, I don't know what, but just make something bigger than it is now and and get this groundswell of, of support, advocacy, and, um, and maybe even funding and, 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 uh, research data and treatment research. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how it all starts. And, and I think that, um, in a way by providing patients and parents, uh, an opportunity to tell their story in a regular and, and um, continuous manner, the cords registry is kind of a virtual family meetup where, you get to see how different people are affected over time. And um, as a matter of fact, we spend an awful lot of time going to family meetups and, um, and we spend time with those, with those groups and with those parents and we help them fill out the, the questionnaires and, and contribute their data. And we give talks on the importance of doing that. And so, um, you know, that's certainly got a special place in my heart. Um, right. Right. You know, I, and, and you know what's interesting about cords and, and rare diseases, and, and, and I'm sure you know you know this, of course, but when I meet families that have this rare disease and say, well, how many people have this disorder? I might be like, well, 10 or 20. It's like, wow, it's so rare. But at the same time, half of my patients have a rare disease. They yeah. have their own rare disease. But if you take all of the rare diseases, <laughs> yeah. that's the majority of or a big part of a specialist time. So even though every disease, every person is their own person and every disease is their own disease, especially if they're rare... The experiences that other people with a rare disease have, whether it's a kidney disease or a brain disease or a heart disease, is somewhat, um, they're very common in a way. Yeah. And I guess you, you, I'm sure you see that. Well, and, and Brittany, you can probably relate to this on a very personal level when you say there's only 10 families that are affected by this. Um, that seems, wow, that's really rare. But to one of the families... That's 10 times the number of people you thought that had it. You know, there, there's there's now a, a community there. You talked about um, going to Denmark and um, and identifying with that that patient's family more. And you also alluded to a Facebook group there where there's some families that kind of get together. Do you share, you know, kind of war stories, uh, you know, conversations about uh, about your, your different 
diagnostic odysseys and um, the the different things that you've encountered as as separate families? There's another um, mom that's in San Francisco, I believe. Um, she's out in California. Maybe there's one in LA that I know, but I don't. I, don't, I think you know. it's it it's probably them. Okay. Um, and her and I Facebook video at the drop of a hat. Like there's mm. no. There's no, hey, will you message me at some time? We're like, nope, boom, in your living room. Like, <laughs> like there's no, that yeah. you kind of lose that. It's kind of an odd place where you, you we don't, I would drop everything yeah. for them. You know, like, you, and they would, you know, vice versa do the same. I know that um, they've had their share of struggles and different seizures and different problems recently. That's been very scary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's no way that even though I can't fly there right this minute, there's no reason why I won't be there right when she needs yeah. me because it's... Yeah. And I met Ms. Booth. I spoke to her on the phone just the other day and as part of my mm-hmm. the beginning process of me trying to coordinate with other families. And she may, she may be talking to us as well. Um, but it, what struck me is just how, again, how different all the, all the patients are at different ages and how they change year to year to year, but also how different people are and yet how the same they are. And, you know, I wonder, Brittany, do, do you find it frustrating if the other patients or the other children are different or, or, or rewarding or just neither? It is what it is. I don't know. Like if, if there's another KCNMA1 person who's not at all like Kamaya, does that make you feel differently than the ones who are just like her? Um, no, not, not necessarily. I mean, I can, I can relate more and give more of an experience, um, you know, to the ones that are just like her, but you don't have to have cancer to know that breast cancer sucks. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can say to somebody, I'm here. You can, you can bring them a dinner. You can bring them an extra warm blanket. You can send them a message of, I'm really sorry. This is really terrible. I care. And it doesn't matter what they have. Although that's always been, that's always how I felt because I've, we've always been so rare that sometimes I'm like, I just need somebody to care. I don't even, Mm -hmm. you don't need to have the same thing as me Mm -hmm. because just saying that, well, we have the same disease. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. There was a nurse at the NIH that's, we when we were up there, there were some kids that were really, really not, they were not doing well. They, mm-hmm. it was a very difficult thing to, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really, you know, all of a sudden grateful. Like, yeah. this makes what we're going through seem very circumstantial, mm-hmm. like not a big deal. And she said, it doesn't really matter if the pile of crap is grape flavored or lemon flavored. It's still a pile of crap. <laughs> and, and so, um, sometimes their pile of crap has a different, right. has a different yeah. flavor, but it doesn't mean that yeah. I can't grab a shovel. We can shovel it right. together. Sure. And so. when I talk to patients, I don't use that terminology, but I basically say the same thing. <laughs> it was where... more vulgar the way she put it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It was right. really fitting. Yeah. And, and sometimes, and I do see that, sometimes you do just need to you know, let out and just kind of say it like it is. But there's always someone that has it worse. But it doesn't make what you have any less of a problem for mm-hmm. you. So um, there's just that balance. I have to deal with what I have and I have to make it as well as I, good as I can for me or for, you know, I have to help others. 
Um, and even though other people have it worse, of course you can feel grateful that it could be worse, but that's that that shouldn't serve to to force you to minimize the effect that anything has has yeah. on you. Um, I want to go back to what Brittany was saying about just going the the diagnosis and and uh, not the diagnosis, but her odyssey from having a symptom, and then all of the doctor's visits and the years of steps to go from that sy- symptom to the diagnosis, which I see all the time, mm. right? And I just want to give a little uh, a little bit of insight. Is any young child that comes in where they're they're all of a sudden one way and then 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 they're not right? So she described Kamaya crawling and then all of a sudden bloop, face planting or or whatever. Yeah. And so when as as a neurologist, I think, well, what what could that be, right? Could it just mm-hmm. be all right? Some kids just fall sometimes. Um, uh, seizures come to mind, movement disorders. So as a doctor, I'm saying, okay, there's 10 things in my head. And I have to decide when meeting a patient for the first time, do I go through all of the 10 or 100 possible things it could be and explain everything in detail and what we might do about it? Or do I say, okay, well, look, well, here's a couple things that could be. These are probably the most common. It could be seizures. So let's start with an EEG. And the EEG comes back normal. And then we go to number two. And then we go to number three. And as the tests come back more and more, or uh, inconclusive or normal, it seems to the family, nobody knows what's going on. No one knows what's going on. No mm-hmm. one knows what's going on. As physicians, we don't do a good job saying, well, here's the list, and we're going to check the boxes from the easiest and quick and the cheapest and non-invasive to the more serious. And, you know, so there. sometimes it can seem like there's no strategy or that there's no plan because, uh, frankly, we just, we're not always good about communicating what's going in our heads. And so if we get to the end of the, the what we know what to do and there's no diagnosis, it's, oh gosh, we went through all this stuff and it can take years. Sometimes, and I know I need to know that, learn that lesson too, is to tell people, this is one way it might turn out. You've got a problem that might be something very routine and easy. We might figure it out on step one, or we may never figure things out. Um, and then of course, with each doctor visit, the next doctor knows a little bit more, a little bit more. So with Kamaya, it was, okay, let's test for seizures. And the EG was normal. Oh, it's not seizures. Okay, well, let's go to a different specialist and see what their interpretation can be. And then, um, you know, what, what strikes me is I want to come back to Dr. Kruer. So Dr. Kruer was uh, a neurologist at Sanford who left just before I got here. Um, and in his notes, uh, he kind of writes, you know what? This looks like a paroxysmal dyskinesia. This this is one of the things that it probably is. And you know how we're going to diagnose it? It's probably going to go, th- it's going to be through genetic testing, like whole exome sequencing. And you know who will do that testing for free? The NIH. Yeah. And so I was really grateful to him. And again, and he's building on all the people he saw before. And right? Step one was figuring out that these weren't seizures. All right? mm-hmm. So so even though each piece seems like there's no answer, there's no answer, there's no answer, each of those steps is, is, an answer. is an answer because it narrows down the focus because you're not going to go right to a brain biopsy. You're not going to go right to a surgery to figure something out. You've right. got to go through the high yield things. And so even though it's definitely frustrating to the families that it could take years, um, I was privileged that I met Kamaya with, with a diagnosis because of the work that other people had done before me. And so I am trying to become an expert as fast as possible and I'll, I'll never be an expert in this. You know, sometimes I feel that no one's ever truly an expert in anything, but to educate myself as much as I can based on the work that other people have done, geneticists and, and labs and EEG doctors and, and, and general pediatricians. Um, so, uh, but it can be frustrating that it just seems like you still don't know, you still don't know, you still don't know, but it's also, well, this is new information, this is new information, this is new information, mm-hmm. and sometimes it can just take time yeah. Especially when it's a rare condition that 
almost nobody has. Right. Because it's not like if Kamaya were to have walked into my office, you know, before I'd ever met someone like Kamaya, I certainly wouldn't say, hey, oh, this has got to be Casey and MA1. What else could it be, of course, right? Because most likely it's probably something else. Right. Um, uh, and there's one more point uh, that I wanted to make. Um, oh, and I, I told Brittany this, and I think this might be interesting for the listeners. When I first heard about Kamaya, it was another doctor of hers, Kate Sigford. And she's a physical medicine rehabilitation doc. And she said, hey, Dr. Kiros, hey, Satiros, I think you should meet this girl. We don't know what she has, but it, I think it's time to just to touch base and, and, and see, what you can, see what you can come up with. So I was going through the notes for Kamaya and reading. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she's got a paroxysmal dyskinesia. That's kind of what, you know, what she probably has. And then later on, a couple months later, before I met her, I was reading Netflix, that Net, I mean, sorry, the, um, the New York Times article. And I'm skimming it, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, oh, and I was like, this is what Kamaya has. So I copied the link, put it in the back of my mind to share with Brittany. Hey, Brittany, let me share with you a patient that's a lot like Kamaya. And it wasn't until later I realized, oh my gosh, it was the same patient. I just, I just. He walks in with the printout. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, here it is. This is what, oh. It's you. That's you. You're it's the you. patient. Yeah, you're the patient. Now, it, you know, I knew before she walked in the door, I'd figured it out. But just to, it just kind of goes to show you how we take other people's experiences, right? So even before I met Kamaya, I was using Kamaya to help people like her. And in her case, right. it happened to be actually her. Wow. So I don't know. I, I, I've I, actually I, heard from other people that they've used Kamaya's case to mention to that other family that this is yeah. a possibility and, and had... Except they didn't actually run into the Netflix family right. at that point. Right. <laughs> yeah. They sure. had used Kamaya's story as, this really looks like something, let's look. And then yeah. they would find out that that, that right. is in fact what it was. Wow. And again, that's why cords is so important. That's why uh, publicizing rare diseases is important. Because you just need to make that disease ever so less rare. And I don't mean less rare by the number of patients affected. But if, if it's it has to be there available for someone to to google to go to the medical research mm-hmm. and say i see this set of conditions let me see what's what's out there and if it's really just one or two papers uh, research papers here and there you're not going to necessarily stumble across it it has to be a, a known thing that's talked about that you might see at a meeting or that another patient or another doctor might tell you about hey i saw this interesting patient with disorder x y or z so you say huh let me put that on the list to think about yeah and so the chances that your patient has any one particular rare disease is very, very small. But if you've got a list in your head of a yeah. thousand diseases to right. reference, then, and so I want to put Casey, it, it already is. Um, I don't want to give myself too much credit at all, but I just want to make sure that this is on people's list in yeah. some way. Right, exactly. And, I, and it's through telling stories like we have today that that we get this, this out. And Brittany, I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and share this story. Um, and hopefully helping others, you know, so to end, (laughs) I just want to ask if you have any advice for a parent, uh, another mom, um, that's perhaps just received, uh, another diagnosis or maybe is herself on this diagnostic odyssey. Um, what, what would you say to somebody who's just found out that their child has a KCNMA1 mutation or, or maybe hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, maybe they're in that stage where they're in, in that two-year window where they're waiting to get placed with the NIH or um, there's someplace else on that 
that path? What, what advice do you give to somebody in that situation? Start collecting your no's because amongst the no's you're going to end up having a yes. I always look for a hundred no's and then amongst a hundred no's I'm going to have one yes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I've gone through a lot of no's. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, um, ask for help. Um, don't be scared to say to Netflix, hey, that's us. Mm-hmm. Or say to whoever's in your community, hey, that's me. Um, you know, this mm-hmm. squeaky wheel always gets the oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always does. And I will just add one thing that, that, that Kamaya and, and other, other patients have taught me is sometimes clinicians, doctors, I, I don't have a treatment for you. Maybe I don't even, sometimes don't have an answer or a diagnosis. I can't tell you what you have, or I might be able to help you figure out what you have, but I can't make that particular, I can't treat that seizure or that movement disorder, but everybody can make a life better in some way. Mm -hmm. So don't just focus on the symptoms, the seizures, the movements. How can I help you? How can I help someone else? How can you help your child be happier and healthier even when you can't directly treat the actual disease itself. And so I think that's an important message for everyone to have. Don't focus on quantity of life, focus on quality. Yeah. yeah. So I like that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much to both of you guys. Um, this has been a great discussion. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Quartzcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Quartzcast.